Welcome to UCLA Extension's Business Insights with Roger Ternaden, where we highlight hot topics and underlying economic trends useful to you. If you are a long-term listener, you know I'm not prone to drama or hyperbole. But the U.S. and global economic environment are both beginning historical downturns that cannot be mitigated this year or next through Federal Reserve or other central bank monetary policies. Let's remind ourselves where we are at the end of August. Western Europe, as well as the United States, are already in recession, and that recession will deepen substantially based on severe energy shortages and spiking costs. The spiking costs, however, won't relieve the shortages. They will just make sure that the wealthiest families and companies get heat and power this fall and winter, particularly Europe. Due to natural gas supply shortages and prices this year that have already increased by double, triple, or quadruple, depending on where people live, additionally, many fertilizer producers are shutting down their production facilities with farmers globally unable to pay the historically high fertilizer prices. Grains are only in significant global shortages due to the Russia-Ukraine war, but they are unaffordable by many in the world's populous third world countries. In the short term, that is weeks to a few months, the U.S. is somewhat insulated by a strong dollar resulting from our higher short-term interest rates, which attracts short-term capital inflows. But Western Europe may catch up soon on interest rate increases, pausing or reversing the U.S. dollar strength. Countries including those in Europe with energy shortages and those with food shortages, or both, will become less stable with global alliances changing, and not for the benefit of us. Don't be distracted by the politicians and media that continually trumpet that we have low unemployment, so all is okay. All is not okay. Historically, with almost 100% reliability, low unemployment comes just before a recession. During a typical one to two year recession, unemployment shoots upward with companies focusing on layoffs in an attempt to keep their profit margins. But we're facing much more than a typical recession. It's far worse. First of all, this is the first time the Federal Reserve is increasing interest rates and aggressively selling their U.S. investment portfolio securities during a recession. Secondly, house prices are highly vulnerable to a substantial decline and they're beginning to occur in many U.S. markets due to both higher mortgage rates and inflation eating away at families' disposable income and thereby not qualifying them for new higher cost mortgages. Number three, Little, if any, new job creation is occurring, and actually has been occurring, as companies cut back from already low new investments. In recent years, companies have deployed their monies at historically high levels to buy back their own stock rather than investing in new plant and equipment. And keep in mind, this new investment is what drives new job creation. Finally, in terms of highlights, 
Sales and profits have already started to decline at rapid rates. For example, the FANG stocks, Facebook, Amazon, Netflix, Google, also to a degree Apple and other large high-tech focused companies, sales are actually down for the first quarter. There's no sales growth quarter to quarter. That's the first time this has happened in over two decades. Margin compression across companies, including the FANG stocks, is occurring as most businesses that are realizing margin compression will have less free cash to buy back their own stock in the future, much less the desire or free cash to invest during a period when consumer demand is falling. So a rebound in a number of the stocks that are based on very high growth rates, a rebound in investment by companies, which has not been the case for a long time, many years, is not going to happen this year or next year, in my opinion. Most recently, last week, U.S. equity markets were slammed after the Federal Reserve Chair Powell made clear the Fed's intentions to raise interest rates and accept pain for U.S. households in its battle against inflation. Seemingly unfazed by the mounting signs of global economic weakness, the comments came after a particularly bleak week of economic data, which included the PMI data showing a synchronized global contraction in July across the four major developing economic regions, the U.S., the Eurozone, Japan, and Australia. And revised gross domestic product data that confirmed that the U.S. entered a technical recession in early 2022. As you know, we were calling for this back in 2021 throughout the year. In past recessions, the growth in China helped bail out the U.S. and the rest of the world. That's not happening this time. China is roughly where the U.S. was in the real estate meltdown, which brought on the 2008-2009 Great Recession. China may actually be in a worse position than we were as their monetary easing and nationalization of growing large losses in their real estate markets shows no signs of abating. Best case, China is getting weaker and having to deal with increasing social unrest. Worst case, China will focus more on military actions to distract their vast population from the internal issues and ramp up military production. Let's spend a few minutes on Europe's energy issues that will importantly dictate social unrest in traditionally stable and pro-U.S. economies. Since we have so little time in a brief podcast, I'm going to do a deep dive using the United Kingdom data and specific examples. These examples will help guide all of us in understanding why the current situation and prospects for next year are applicable to Europe. Yes, including that former powerhouse Germany. Energy shortages and prices are, in my opinion, the most disruptive since the World War II environment. And like World War II, they will have an impact on the U.S. both directly and indirectly, as we'll summarize. Imagine this scenario, which is 100% true, based on actual and expected data trends. We're going to focus on the U.K., but consider how this affects all of Europe. A most recent 80, 80% rise in the United Kingdom's cap for consumer electricity and natural gas bills this fall will drive millions of households into energy poverty this winter as the worsening cost of living crisis increases fears of recession. The chatter today among British people is the energy regulator OFGEM. OFGEM, O-F-G-E-M, is the Office of Gas and Electricity Markets. 
Ofgem has approved a rise in the cap on power bills to a record, I'll translate into dollars, $4,189 per year beginning October 1st, that's a month away, from $2,330. So they're expanding their cap on bills to consumers by 80%. This cap is expected to rise to $6,427 by January and $8,594 by spring. So that's three to four times increase in utility bills for the UK consumers. You can expect this also, in my view, for most of Europe. This is all due to skyrocketing wholesale natural gas and electricity prices caused by declining Russian energy supplies to Europe. In other words, a lot of the sanctions have backfired, particularly when one is considered that Russia is earning the same or more amount of money on energy sales than they did before the sanctions. They're just selling their energy to different countries than those who have placed sanctions on them. That we talked about in prior podcasts. So the bill shock for Europe in household energy bills is locked in right now. Not going to change. And an increase of this much, according to Peter Smith, Director of Policy and Advocacy for the National Energy Action Organization, this increase gives households no wiggle room in their consumption expenditures. And he goes on to say, come October, low-income households will simply not turn on their heating. Reuters spoke to one British resident, Philip Keeley, who said, the cost of living has increased, and yet... We are still expected to live on the money provided when there wasn't a crisis. The fact is, I can either have my heating or I can eat. The higher energy cap rate I mentioned will push inflation in Britain to even more elevated levels, as the UK economists at Citibank warned uh, very recently for CPI inflation in the UK. It was actually given a number that CPI inflation in the United Kingdom could reach 18.5% in January due to soaring energy prices. Again, these energy prices are locked in. In the United Kingdom, the last time the consumer price index printed above 18% was during the stagflationary years of the mid-1970s, more precisely 1976, after an oil supply shock led to soaring energy prices worldwide. Currently, the UK CPI stands at 10.1% as of July, but the first time in four decades as households crumble under the weight of the new cost of living crisis. Inflation is at decades high and has pushed the UK Misery Index, an economic indicator to gauge how the average person is doing, to three-decade highs, a sign that discontent is not only emerging but growing. It's going to be horrendous, said Bill Bullen, Chief Executive Officer of Utilita Energy, which supplies 810,000 homes in the United Kingdom. We are going to see a big increase in people struggling to pay their energy bills. By the way, we're actually seeing this in the United States right now. Last winter's cap was 1,277 British pounds, but that was before the European leaders sanctioned Moscow for the invasion of Ukraine. With the cold season just a few months away, power prices are already at record highs as Russia's Nord Stream 1 natural gas pipeline to the Western European bloc is shut down. UK natural gas prices are also hyperinflating, up twice, three times, four times. This is today. This winter could be one of the darkest decades in the United Kingdom households. 
The government has provided billions of pounds to support families, but that may not reduce the growing discontent and needs. Resistance is growing as more than 116,000 irritated people have pledged not to pay their electricity bill this fall when the new price cap begins in a movement called, quote, Don't Pay UK, unquote. Ofgem just passed a debt and death sentence on millions, according to Reuters. We've been left with no options but to refuse to pay. And that's from the anonymous group that uh, I had just referenced. Let's move back to the U.S. in more ways than one, but let's talk about the United States. The Fed has no choice for it is blamed by politicians because regardless of whatever they do, the Fed has to neutralize inflation as a part of their charter. An impossible task when the real cause is shortages. So I'll say again what I've said in prior podcasts, the Fed is left with the very unpopular duty of dropping demand down to meet the supply. In past inflationary periods, it has been a excessive demand from consumers been met by increased interest rates and a cooling of the economy. This is not consumer-led this time. This is shortage-led. Unfortunately, the Fed has only one tool, and that is the money supply, and that is not an effective tool against shortages. Because prices have risen for the reason of shortages, everyone else is using that excuse to push prices higher. I'm sure everyone on this podcast has heard, well, my prices had to increase because of COVID, right? So that excuse is really handy, and it's being promulgated. And Powell's response is, quote, these are the unfortunate costs of reducing inflation. And that is increasing unemployment, which is going to happen. It started. And decreasing job prospects in terms of new job creation. Actually, Chairman Powell said at Jackson Hole last week that a failure to restore price stability would mean far greater pain. So in my view, I was expecting a pivot by the Fed after the September increase, which I totally expect to be 75 basis points, could even be more. I'm not expecting a pivot. I'm expecting a severe recession. In the 60s and 70s, inflation led to higher unemployment rates. The reasons were slightly different, but the mechanics are strikingly similar. And we can look back in the 68-69 period, we can look back, and I have to leave it to you to do that if you want to Google it, the 73-74 period, the 79-80 period, very similar cases. Now, if we go back to today, the U.S. job opening is recorded and available to you on the internet. The U.S. job openings have actually dropped for the prior quarter, and that's the beginning, in my view, of the unemployment that's going to be an issue over the next six months to year and more. U.S. Strategic Petroleum Reserves, past periods when the reserves have been decreased to fight oil prices, and we go back to maybe the 1990 period, the 2000-2001 period, even the 2010-11 period. For a period of time, sales were made from the Strategic Petroleum Reserves. Now the sales are higher than they've ever been, and they've lasted longer than they've lasted historically. But keep in mind, again, that a million barrels a day are being sold from the Strategic Petroleum Reserve, and there are only 720 million barrels there. So at a monthly change of a million barrels a day, which is the same as what I just said, 
we have about a two-year supply if this continuation of selling were to continue. So it can't. And once the one million barrel a day sale from the Strategic Petroleum Reserve stops, and I expect it to in the next month prior to the elections, we will have a one million plus barrel shortage in the United States, which will again pop back the oil prices and have an impact of increasing the natural gas prices. Natural gas prices, by the way, have already started back up. They're now at historical highs after declining for a month or so, which means that the ammonia and hydrous ammonia and fertilizer prices are going to be ramping up to new highs soon. So there will be a knock-on effect. This is in an environment where corporate layoffs have started. Not only did Peloton reduce 2,000 employees several months ago and another 2,000 in recent month, but Ford has announced almost a 9,000 employee reduction. Carvana has announced a 2,500-person reduction. And other companies announcing reductions include J.P. Morgan, Netflix, Wells Fargo, Robinhood, Vimeo, and many others. So this is just starting, so I would keep my eyes on that. Last point, stock market, the tech bubble in the year 2000, after the peak of the, at that point in time, the high-tech stocks, which were, again, six or seven companies that made up a large part of the Standard & Poor's Index then, the drop began about this time, if we take the charts and superimpose them, but the drop then was in excess of 50% in the overall market. And today's tech bubble, again, has just started. The decline has started. We've seen probably the first 10 to 20% of it. But based on the last tech bubble decline, we may expect another 50% decline in the next six months in the U.S. stock market, which is pretty scary to me. I don't know about you, but as a last comment, because some of our listeners have said, what do I do? Great question. And I've answered that I would get out of debt, I would accumulate cash, but I would add one more item now. I would look at the high dividend yielding stocks, and I would look in these sectors. Energy sector, the dividend yield for the whole S&P sector is running about 3.3% a year. That sector is still underappreciated. I would look at stocks, or I would look at exchange-traded funds that focus on energy stocks. I would look at funds Uh, that focus on real estate stocks. Their dividend payment across the S&P real estate sector is 3.1%. Utilities pay 3% dividend. I would look into those sectors for my portfolio waiting for the next six months to a year, maybe longer. And I would minimize or I would take down investments that I would have in consumer discretionary and information technology, the industrials, and even healthcare. Right now, these sectors pay dividends that are far less than energy, real estate, and utilities. They are in the 15 to 2% dividend range. So I would reallocate or reweight my portfolio. See you in two weeks. We'll have much more to report, much more to talk about. Be careful, protect your capital, and stay alert and watch the upcoming reports on job creation or lack of, on unemployment growing, and the housing market, which is falling pretty rapidly now. It won't fall rapidly in all markets, but across the United States. Just look at some of the highlights, and I would advise against listening to the spins of a lot of the talking heads in the media that promote that, uh, gee, unemployment is low, so we're in a strong economy. Not true. Take care. 
Be sure to email us at rtornadin at uclaextension.edu on more specific questions, which we will answer either personally or select as part of our future podcast. Hosted by Business and Legal Programs Director Roger Tornadin. This podcast is presented by UCLA Extension and produced by Jamie Moss at Studio 10960. These podcasts are made for educational purposes and are not financial advice. The goal is to educate and provide resources on focused economic and job trends with the latest support research so that you can make more informed financial and career decisions that best suit your personal needs. UCLA Extension offers more than 5,000 online and in-classroom courses taught by over 2,000 leading practitioners to help you get from here to there. For more information on this podcast or our financial and legal programs, please check us out at www.uclaextension.edu. We know it's about your life, not just your money.